Thank you. Thank you very much. I'd like to uh, thank the sponsors of the American Academy of Achievement for uh, this evening and for uh, uh, having me here to uh, congratulate all of our uh, student achievement winners and to uh, truly salute my fellow uh, Academy Achievement members and tell you what uh, really an extraordinary honor uh, it is, slightly intimid intimidating, uh, to be in a room with really so many, many worthy people and it's very, very nice to be here. Um, as I got off the plane about 45 minutes ago and was told that uh, I was speaking this evening uh, <coughs> to this group as, uh, and I asked them, what should I talk about? And they said, well, you know, talk to the, uh, the students about uh, achievements. And I said, well, I mean, if National Merit Scholars are the ying, then I was the yang. Uh, you know, my, uh, uh, my claim to fame, I was what you would call a late bloomer, to say the least. Uh, my biggest achievement in this wonderful private school that my parents paid a lot of money, I remember, was to finally get to my college counselor. Every high school has a college counselor. Mine reminded me of a travel agent. He had these brochures, these different colleges, you know, he'd thumb through them, and I said, wait a minute, stop. And there was a college, and it said, Campus by the Sea. And this is 1963. And on the cover, it had a guy walking down the beach with a surfboard and two girls in two-piece bathing suits. 19, on the East Coast, you didn't see a two-piece bathing suit in 1963, you know. So that was, that was my motivation. And uh, I... Uh, <clears throat> I had a, uh, a, a wonderful five-year program at uh, uh, University of California, Santa Barbara, which as it turned out to be was an excellent college. It was the height of uh, the UC system when the uh, state of California was pumping a tremendous amount of money uh, into the schools. It turned out to be quite good, except I got to my junior year and was called into the chancellor's office and said, I really think it's about time that you declared a major. And I said, and the truth was, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea uh, what I wanted to do, or for that matter, probably who I was. And um, my, my mother was an actress. Uh, I grew up with her, basically. My mother and father got separated when I was five, and was a stage actress in New York, and was familiar with that, and certainly we all know who my father was. So I thought theater. And I became a dramatic arts major. Uh, and somewhere, I guess in terms of finding a motiv motivation or direction, I began to assume uh, this, uh, this role uh, without really a lot of interest at first. Uh, my first roles as an actor on school, uh, the friends of mine tease me now, is famous for carrying a wastebasket right off stage. So there was a major heaves before you got on stage, you know, and then you'd run off and have the dry heaves. I was tremendous stage fright. The idea of standing in front of uh, audiences um, totally terrified me. And that's been a constant struggle for years, years. It's been since 1968 or 69, just a, a constant struggle with, uh, with stage fright and you know, practicing overcoming it. And I was fortunate enough uh, when I got out of school, the la actually the last summer, to work in a, in a summer theater. And part of my uh, job was to help build an outdoor amphitheater. 
at a place called the Eugene O'Neill Memorial Theater. Mr. Wilson is very familiar with the, uh, the uh, theater. And it was a uh, wonderful opportunity of the National Playwrights Conference. And in terms of building this theater, they allowed me to play a part, one role in, uh, in one of the plays. And I was invited back the following summer and the following summer after that and became part of the resident acting company for the National Playwrights Conference. I was fortunate enough to do plays by uh, Sam Shepard, John Guare, Israel Horowitz, Lanford Wilson, a lot of very excellent writers. And I guess that was my first lesson, uh, which had to do with material. Um, as opposed to Miss Pearl, I, I uh, rely tremendously on scripts. We all do. As a writer who's written down a part, uh, the silent monologue in this first clip from Wall Street was a, uh, a beautifully written uh, monologue by Oliver Stone, uh, which I interpreted. So therefore, I consider myself much more of a craftsman than an artist, uh, as some of the people here who've created original works. Uh, in any event, at that summer theater, uh, I became friends with Danny DeVito. And in our third summer together, we actually were paid money, $65 a week, 19, 1970. And for an actor, there's a phenomenal moment when somebody's actually paid you to perform. Uh, it's called being a professional, and it means a tremendous amount. At that point, we went on afterwards and became roommates in New York, uh, Danny DeVito and myself. Uh, and then I got my first break in the CBS Playhouse, which was mentioned, which was about a radical student uh, activist uh, graduating with honors being uh, employed by a large corporation and his struggle as an individual in fitting in with this large corporation. So things initially seemed to be rolling along quite well. Uh, there then was what we call a lull or a bump in uh, our career as we did a series of films which did not, did not work out. Uh, and I found myself two years later fairly unemployed, uh, not getting any movies as an actor and films any longer. Uh, and beginning to go into television, television, episodic television. While I was in college, one of the, the highlights of, uh, of my reading material was a, a book called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was a book that my father had bought in galley form back in 1963 to do as a Broadway play. Galley form means that you buy the book before it's been published uh, by the uh, publishing company. And this was his return to Broadway. The play did not work out, but uh, a few years later, it became sort of a cult classic. And about this time, when I was having my lull in my career, my father had uh, tried for about six years uh, to get this uh, book made into a film and had not succeeded and was trying to sell it. And I don't really know what got into me except for my love of this book. It was a great piece of material. I said, don't sell it. Whatever you do, look, I'll take it. I'll get this picture made and uh, your company can be involved. And that's how much it means to me. And my lovely, kind father, I think, thinking that, uh, well, you know, he's not having the best of times in his acting career right now and let, me, let him run with it for a little bit. Well, I didn't know that it was going to take six years uh, of running. And that's basically what happened. Shortly after that, I was fortunate enough to get the uh, streets of San Francisco with Carl Malden. 
who also, just like my father, proved to be a mentor, uh, an extraordinarily supportive person to me. I didn't think our career was going to last very long. I remember our first day shooting. I was extremely nervous. It was the first break, and this is Carl Malden, Academy Award winner, and it was the end of the first day, and the light was going down on the top of Telegraph uh, Knob Hill. We're on Knob Hill, and the director, assistant director ran up and said, listen, we've got to get this one shot. You guys jump in the car. I want you to slap the light on top of the car, and you go around the corner, you make a left, and you go down the hill by the Fairmont. So I said, okay, okay, fine, let's go. And I had... Uh, you know, been into racing cars earlier in my, in my life and, you know, prided myself being a pretty good car driver. And Carl Malden got in the passenger seat the first day. And you're still sort of sizing each other up when you're doing a series. You're going to have to spend a lot of time with each other. He said, action, let's go. Light's going. We went down around the corner, put the light up, made a left-hand turn, went past the Fairmont Hotel, went off the hill. And I didn't really check it out beforehand. And all I know is that Carl and I had enough time in midair to look at each other, and he looked at me as a, just the silence of the car going through the air. And I looked at him, the first looked at me, and his eyes, you know, Carl's eyes getting bigger and bigger, and this thing, you know, and lucky my wheels were straight. I got to the bottom of the hill the first day. That's not driving, that's theatrical driving, that's not, I said, oh my God, my, this is it, this is the end of my career, it's all over. And he was, you know, raving at me, raving, that's not driving at all, and I thought, and he said, I gotta go back and change my underwear. <laughs> he was joking. <laughs> and he kept it, so he, he was a, a wonderfully uh, supportive gentleman who came out of the steel mills of Gary, Indiana with an incredible nose. <laughs> and uh, I've always wondered, uh, and I love the man, how he could even consider acting, looking you know, more special than anybody I'd seen. And he had a deep appreciation and incredible discipline. So during those, those four years uh, in which we did the series, and basically you make a 52-minute movie, eight minutes for commercials, a 52-minute movie in seven days. And you do 26 episodes uh, in a season, so you work about eight months straight. And we were in San Francisco, you work Saturdays, a six-day week, about a 14-hour, 15-hour day for about eight months uh, straight. And in that time, I was so impressed with this incredible amount of, of discipline and the ability that between shots working on one show, we were already working on the script for the next week. And it was like weightlifting. It was like exercising. And all of a sudden, you found that you developed this mental muscle, this ability to absorb tremendous amount of dialogue, to absorb changes. Uh, I then started hanging out with the production crews, finding out how they boarded, how they broke up the schedules. I worked with the cameraman. I was able to direct a couple of episodes of the show. And while I was doing this, I was going across and found a partner uh, in Berkeley, California, in Saul Zanz, to produce One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And at the end of the fourth year, the producers and Carl Malden were kind enough, kind enough to let me out of my fifth year of my contract because they knew how much I wanted to make uh, this movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, so they let me out. We went off and, and did Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, and it was accumulation of about six and a half to seven years uh, from when I first started getting involved with the project. So it gives you an idea of just how long uh, these things go. People always ask me, how long does it take to make a movie? 
The actual shooting production period can be uh, probably 12 weeks. The period of development can take as long in my case, uh, Oliver Stone and Platoon took almost 10 years to get somebody to get it made. Uh, Cuckoo's Nest, six and a half. A picture I did called China Syndrome is about five years of just trying to find somebody who wants to finance and make that picture. The post-production period is usually about six months, about that period of time. So we were fortunate enough to, I guess, you know, win the Academy Awards. I was 31. Uh, years old, and I remember we sat there and said, well, what happens next? And I guess at 31, I felt a little bit like a lot of our National Merit Scholars might feel tonight. And I remember joking with Milos and saying, it's all downhill from here, you know, and uh, let's enjoy it. And I think one of the most important things that I've gotten out of all the experiences is you have to enjoy the moment. And I certainly hope uh, that our, all of our honorees, our student honorees tonight, will really savor the moment in time that's happening now, rather than necessarily worrying and pursuing for what their next goal is going to be. I always find a lot of us that we always rush too much through our successes, and we wallow in our failures. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful moment, and I hope you do enjoy it. Um, as far as trying to have anything specifically to say, I was talking with uh, one of your uh, winners, last year winners, Henry Kravis, who happens to be one of my oldest uh, friends about this evening a few weeks ago. And Henry and I sort of said, you know, the one thing I think that we all have in common, and I'm talking about our adult achievement winners, is something called luck. Sixth sense, a nose, a smell, or instinct. And whatever you've achieved through all the due diligence and the hard work, I've always found that my instinct, and it usually was my first instinct, was always the most valuable. And so I would encourage everybody here uh, to cultivate and trust that first instinct and their sixth sense, and their animal sense, and whatever you want to call it, because I think that's going to come in as handy as all the, all the hard work uh, that's going to happen. And of course, there is going to be a, a tremendous amount of tenacity and stamina uh, and dealing with rejection and just trying to pursue and follow through, because you have to like what you're doing. And that's the other thing. I'm always surprised about how many people do not like what they're doing in life. And I realize how blessed I am. And as I look at my father, who's 71, who can't even consider retirement or anything else. He loves what he's doing. It keeps him alive. So I think you have to love what you're doing. And that means doing it for yourself. Uh, I've also spoke about three gentlemen, my father, Carl Malden, and Saul Zance, who were older uh, people, men, who were truly mentors in my life, and I've always tried to acknowledge them. They were three people that clearly took me under their wing uh, in a fatherly way, uh, and I'll always be very, in, in, very, very dead to them. And I guess finally it's humility. Uh, the idea that I can be standing here tonight sharing with uh, this incredibly impressive array, 
my thoughts uh, really is um, really is striking to me. So um, I really think that's all I have to say, and just thank you all very much for uh, letting me have you here. <clears throat>